was beat it. All right, you are dismissed to your classes. <clears throat> sleep and so it changed our schedule and so this was supposed to be the first Sunday that Joshua was going to start teaching Philippians but this is actually the second so last week he got shoved into it and um, uh, I, I don't know if anyone has a Bible memory verse or not but we can take that too I'll turn it over to Josh all right any Bible memory verses this morning um, and I encourage you to do it from from the verses that we looked at last week, the first two verses of Philippians chapter 1. Um, does anybody have some memory verses from Mr. Dave? Philippians 1, 1 and 2. Paul and Timotheus, a servant of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Good. Anybody else? Those couple verses or something else? Lexi. That's, that's fine. You're my wife. All right. Amen. Any other Bible memory from Philippians or otherwise? Mrs. Slagle. Also on the things of others. That was the one slip up, but good job. So, a couple quiz questions, and if you answer these, you'll get a piece of chocolate. So, without looking at the book of Philippians, which we will be in there directly this morning, who wrote the book of Philippians? Dallas. Paul did. Now, who did he say wrote it with him? Frank. Timotheus. He Put that in verse 1. Tamal and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. No, Timotheus is another name for Timothy. Good job. Um, now, I mentioned this briefly last week, and I hope, hopefully some of you heard it. What is the theme of the book of Philippians? Pastor. Joy. Joy. Rejoicing in the Lord. All right. So, Dallas, if you want to come up here and get this bag of chocolate, I will... Let you hand it to yourself and Pastor and Frank and the Bible memory verse people, too. All right. So, if you haven't guessed it, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. Um, Philippians chapter number one and starting in verse number three. But let's read the verses before it, and I'll do it from memory. If you want to try to do it from memory, too, say it along with us. Let's all read it together. Verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, 
the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Is everybody there yet? We won't go into verse 3 until everybody's for sure there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. All right, everybody together, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making a request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace." For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. That will be it for today, verses 3 through 8. Now, 3, why, can anybody tell me why I picked 3 through 7, and then 8 is like the transitionary verse between next week and, well, this week and next week. Why did I pick verse 3 through 7 for this lesson? Why, why did I pick verses 1 and 2 for that matter, for last week's lesson? This is a little trivia on Bible study. Mrs. Spear. It's one sentence. When you're looking at the Bible and you're studying the Bible and you're a little bit confused, they put it in verse form, so then each verse wouldn't be super long. But verses 3 through 7 is one sentence. It's one thought. And so that's why this week's lesson is going to be on that sentence. Um, And just like any old sentence, you have to... When you go and diagram it, you got a subject and you got a verb and you got prepositional phrases and uh, clauses and all that. And we're not going to be going into that, but just a little tip: when you're when you're studying the Bible, just focus on verse by verse by verse, but sentence by sentence. Uh, and the um, the translators did put those punctuation marks there because it meant something, not just because they thought it was a good spot to put it. So. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So a little bit of review from last week. Um, this is our chart that I showed you last week of Paul's missionary journeys. And I liked it because it's not, the dates are controversial, but it, it helps you picture Acts chapter number 9, the, ver- the chapters in Acts, along with the period and the letters written that Paul wrote during this time. And so he went on his first missionary journey, and on that missionary journey, he wrote the book of Galatians, because uh, that's one of the churches that he went to. And then on a second missionary journey, during that, he wrote Thessalonians, and then the third, he wrote Corinthians and Romans. And then later, when he was finally in Rome under house arrest, then um, he wrote the books Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. And so we talked about last week that it's possible, very possible, that Philippians is the very last book to a church that Paul ever wrote. And so there's very little, there's very little negativity in Philippians. It's all about joy, rejoicing in the Lord. He's trying to encourage them to rejoice in the Lord even though he's in prison. And this is, gives, gives you a map. His first missionary journey is the blue and the yellow. Uh, blue is outbound. Yellow is inbound, and then the second missionary journey is the, the purple and the red. Purple is outbound, red is inbound. So you can see up here, Philippi is way up here. You probably can't see Philippi, but Philippi is way up there. 
So we went through, and he, when he got to about right here, he asked God, hey, I want to go to, I want to, go to Asia. And God wouldn't let him. And then he got up here, and he wanted to go to um, Bithynia, but God still wouldn't let him. And then there was a man um, in a vision at night that t- asked him to come over to Macedonia, way over here. So then they left Troas, went over to Philippi, and Philippi is where he started basically the first church on his second missionary journey. This, is, this next map is the same thing, except it's just his second missionary journey. And then the book of Philippians with the first ones being Paul's commencement, his introduction, verses 1 and 2. And then this week, we were looking at Paul's cheerfulness. Now, why, why would it be Paul's cheerfulness? Because the theme of the book is joy. So Paul is being cheerful. So what better way to start out his cheerful book by being cheerful and thanking God. Here We're going to be looking at some things that he's thanking God for in the Philippian church. Uh, he's not, these aren't things that he's been praying for because he gives a prayer request, um, which we'll look at next week, and a couple, th- couple prayer requests in that section, starting in verse 8 and down to 11. But this is something that he's thanking God for that is already in the Philippian church. So, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every time he thought about him, he thanked God for these things. And how did he thank God? Well, verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with how did he thank God? Joyfully, which is kind of hard to, you know, the best thankfulness to God is doing it joyfully. If you're not thanking God joyfully, then you're probably not truly being thankful. It's kind of a force to thankfulness. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Now we're going to look at the things. The things. Verses 5, 6, and 7 are three things that he is thankful for about the Philippian church. All right. First one, their fellowship. Verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. For your fellowship in the gospel. Um, Does anybody know the difference between fellowship and a relationship? So if you're related to somebody, you can't help that. I'm related to my dad. I can't help. I can't do anything about it. If I left and went somewhere else and lived in Timbuktu, Africa, I still have that relationship. But do I have fellowship? No. So just because you have a relationship doesn't mean you have fellowship. Same thing with a Christian. If you are a Christian, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But does that mean you automatically have fellowship? You know, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That fellowship is broken. So for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, they weren't just a Christian, they were more than a Christian. They were a fellowshipping Christian. Um, They didn't just believe the gospel, they actually embraced it. The other night in Hope, we were talking about Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. But exhorting one another. So the opposite of of not forsaking, the opposite of forsaking the assembling of yourselves together is exhorting one another. So the only way that you're going to be able to exhort one another is by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. So how did they have fellowship? How can you have fellowship with somebody that you're not with? 
So they were just a Christian. They were, they were a church-going Christian. The statement was made um, that you can be a Christian and not go to church, but you cannot be a thriving, spirit-filled Christian without going to church. There's a difference. And too many Christians settle for just being a Christian. They're on their way to heaven, praise God. But nobody else is going to be on their way to heaven because of their lives, because they're not taking steps to be that Christian example. So why did we get saved if we're not going to try and help other people get saved? Um, Why do we do what we do? You know, it's not just um, something that you do and sign off every week. Yeah, I went to church this morning on Sunday. It's fellowshipping. And in that verse in Hebrews 10, it's, and so much the more. We should be doing it more and more and more as we see the day approaching. And also, who determines how much we meet a week? So who determines how often we meet at church? The pastor. So that, that requires faith in our pastor that we're supposed to be meeting whenever he wants us to. There, you know, there's a lot in the Bible just, just supporting the schedule. You know, pastor doesn't just, you know, pastor doesn't just put Wednesday night Bible study on the calendar just for, just, you know, this is optional if you want to do more, if you want to do something extra. No, he put it on the calendar. He, he puts revival meetings on the calendar. Why? Because he thinks that we need it. And if you're not taking advantage of that, are you forsaking the assembling of ourselves together? And forsaking, we looked at the word forsaking the other night, is that just missing out because you're sick? There's some people that I'm sure are not in church today because they're sick. Is that forsaking the assembling of ourselves together? I think not. I think it's a heart issue. If you could be here at church, would you? What is your main reason? You know, some people may say, well, I'm sick, I can't go to church, but the reason is they want to they, they have no interest and they're using cold as their reason, as their excuse. If you could, would you? That's what fellowshipping is. And he said, from the first day until now. You know what it says in the book of Acts? After the day of Pentecost. It says, I think in Acts 2.41. And daily, in the temple, and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I have a feeling that in the book of Philippians and the other churches that were started, that was their mentality. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So what if, what if pastor said, hey, I'm burdened. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Some are forsaking it, but exhorting one another, and so much the more. As you see the day approaching. So what if your pastor said, okay, the Bible says we should be doing it more as we see the day approaching. And I see the day approaching, so we should be doing it more. So what if he says, all right, church, we're going to have church on Sunday, first day of the week. But also, instead of Wednesday night, I'm going to schedule in Tuesday night midweek service and Thursday night midweek service. What do we do as a church? Is it our job to be there? 
I'm not telling you what you need to be doing because I'm asking you what you should be doing. All of us, if you're saved, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. If the Spirit of God is telling you, hey, do this, then listen to him. And by the way, if it says in the Bible, we should be doing it. So, fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They were faithful in their fellowship. Um, you know, what is your testimony like? Do people know, you know, my, my dad used to say this, still does, everybody in town ought to know what day of the week they should rob our house. Because we're not going to be there Sunday morning. We're not going to be there Sunday night. We're not going to be there Wednesday night. We're not going to be there Saturday when we go out on visitation. What is your testimony like? Do people say, hey, I know I can't come over. Family, friends, I know I can't plan anything. Dad's not going to go fishing with me over the weekend because he's going to go to church. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until. Moving on, verse 6. He was thankful for their fellowship. He was thankful for their future. He was thankful for their future. And all of these are kind of separated by what's that little punctuation mark after verse 5? Semicolon. So all of these are kind of, all of my points are kind of separated by semicolons. Being confident. So first reason, their fellowship, he's thankful for it. Second reason, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul was confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He was confident of their future. He was thankful for their future. Their attitude and actions were such that Paul was confident. And the work was such that only God could receive the credit. He was also confident that they were going to continue to allow God to work in their lives. But let me point out this very important truth. His confidence came when in the lineup? Did his confidence come before or after their consistency in being faithful to the fellowship? After. So, so many times we quote the verse and say, being confident of this very thing, and we, 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 we quote it with this mindset, I can be confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. But the context of the verse is Paul was confident for them. And his confidence didn't come until he saw what they had already been doing. What they had already been allowing God to work in their life. You know what? Your past is such that I'm thankful. And because you show that same effort in your past, I'm confident that your future is just going to be as fruitful. That you're going to allow God to keep working in your life till the day of Jesus Christ. You know, because confidence, if I, you know, if we say that, we can say that verse because Paul, Paul was, Paul said, I, I'm confident that he's going to finish the work in you. And the reason he said that is to encourage them that, hey, I'm confident for you. Somebody's, somebody's in your fan section cheering you on. So it's, it's okay to quote the verse and say, I can be confident 
that Jesus is going to finish what he started. But it doesn't mean as much as somebody else saying it. Um, Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. 1 Corinthians 10.12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know, because, um, I'll tell you a story. A little, well, a while ago, a relative of mine came out here, and it was a blizzard. It was probably a foot deep of snow. And, but when we were driving around the church, he said, I've got this. And just show me, just, you know, um, just, just watch this. I've got this controlled. And um, he was confident. And he drove around, and he, about right there, he got stuck. And all this time I'm thinking, you don't live in Custer, South Dakota, and you're telling me you got this. You know how to drive in, the, in foot deep snow. You know, because when we say I have confidence in something, that doesn't mean anything. But what if somebody else said, hey, I've seen you drive in foot deep snow. You've been driving in it for a long time. I have confidence that you can do it. That actually means something. But if I'm going to say, you know, I have confidence that I can do this. That doesn't mean anything because people say it all the time and they fail. But it means a whole lot more when somebody else sees it in somebody. So what do people see in you? People in your life, Paul was an authority in that church. People in authority in your life, are they confident that you're going to be there till the end? We shouldn't be men pleasers. We should be God pleasers. But the Bible says, by your fruits you shall know them. Our fruits are evidence to other people. The only way that other people are going to see it, and the only way that an unsafe person will be confident that Jesus Christ is real and should be something and should be their whole life, the only way that they can find that confidence is if they see it in somebody else. There's something different. Is there a good work in me? Allow God to start a good work and continue it to the end. You know, later in, in Philippians, there's a verse that um, says, um, set, well, I can't quote it right now, but it says that if, hey, you're going to allow God to work inside of you. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Well, Philippians chapter 2. Verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And that will be a future lesson. Wherefore, my beloved, verse 12, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not saying you need to work for your salvation. It says after you have your salvation, work it out. Build it up. Next verse, for it is God which worketh in you. So you need to work out what God's been working in, what you've allowed God to work in. And Paul's saying, hey, I'm confident. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for your future. I'm confident. I I can be thankful because I'm confident of your future. Because you are allowing God to work in, and you are working out, and you're going to stay faithful to the end. The confidence came after the consistency. You know, there's a... There's a dearth of, of people that your pastor um, 
and people in leadership in the church realm, there's a dearth of people that they can have confidence in, that they can confide in. Oftentimes the pastor or the missionary or the evangelist, they're the outsiders because they're afraid of who's going to leave them. They're, and that shouldn't, I'm not saying that that's, that should be their, their mindset because we serve God. God is who we are pleasing. But how much better is it for somebody to say, hey, I've got your back. Hey, I'm going to be faithful. You know, um, Brother Bill and I, we go to, um, I've traveled with him several times, and, and you can always see it. I, I didn't realize how special it was until I did it that I've been to a church, and I'm going to be doing the vacation Bible school there down, down there this summer. But I've been to a church there five years, four or five years, and it's amazing to see from one year to the next the same people there, the same people doing the, the same thing and more. And you know what? That church, every time we've been there, it's grown a little and a little more and a little more. And it's because of that handful of people that when they, when they first started, they weren't hardly anything, but they've been faithful. They've been going at it. You know, and we can say, hey, I'm confident that God's going to finish what he started in you because you are allowing him to. Because you are allowing him to. All right, thirdly, verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. What's that phrase there? What's that punctuation mark? Semicolon again. Next thought. Even inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Let's read that again. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, even as it is meet for me to be cheerful, even as it is meet for me to be confident for you all, because I have you in my heart. Next thought. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Paul was thankful for their fellowship, their faithfulness, their fellowship. He was faithful, thankful for their future. He was confident. He was also thankful for their friendship. Like I said before, Paul was, Paul was a missionary. Paul was jumping from church to church, and there was, it was some churches... They weren't much of encouragement to him. But Philippian church obviously was. They were being faithful. And it was encouragement to Paul. But not only were they faithful to their own church. They were faithful to the, his ministry. In the defense and, and his bonds. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul couldn't help but think about them. Because of their being a blessing to Paul. Notice. Fellowship was our relationship with other believers. And exhorting one another. Our future is our relationship to God. But their friendship was the church's relationship to Paul himself. Who's a Paul in your life? Who's a Paul in your life? And how can you be a blessing to them? It's kind of hard to preach on this just because I'm, I'm on staff, quote unquote, of the church. But there's there's a Paul in your life. And I would point you to your pastor and say, hey, be a friend to him. 
Paul couldn't help but think about them because of their being a blessing. In his distress, inasmuch as both in my bonds, Paul was a prisoner at this time, in his distress, in his bonds, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, in his distress, in his defense of the gospel, in his defense of the gospel. You know, there's people, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that you may not know that your pastor or your Paul, quote unquote, is fighting, but you need to back him up. You know, there's, there's certain things that, that oftentimes, what about, what if we're, what if we're, we have an argument with our pastor or we have an argument with our Paul when we should be defending him. And earlier and later in this same chapter, there were people that were taking advantage of Paul's imprisonment. There were people that were preaching the word not sincerely. They were hoping to gain fame by Paul being in prison. But Paul said, hey, you church, you're in the same boat as me, and you're not going to, you're not going to be upset with me because you recognize that we have the same enemy. We shouldn't be upset with... You know how petty it is to be upset with other people in the church? Because we are, by being upset with other people in the church and having rifts in the church, we are not then allowing the enemy that we should be fighting to infiltrate. We should all be fighting against the devil. We should be helping our pastor fight against the devil and and compromise and wickedness and the new Jesus that's out there. We should be backing him up, but instead we're, I didn't get my way. If you're defending a fort, are you going to be worried about your, about your, your, your fellow soldier's uniform not being straightened? You're going to be defending in a fort. You're going to be in defense. It's war. Defense and confirmation of the gospel. We are defending the gospel. And it's important that we as a church remain strong for the gospel. It's all about the gospel's sake. A church is here to fulfill the Great Commission. In the defense and confirmation of the gospel, in his distress when Paul was in prison, in his defense, but also in his duty, ye all are partakers of my grace. My grace. You know what? My grace is the, I gave you the definition last week, the supernatural ability to do what we should do, what we are supposed to do. And God gave the grace of God to Paul to fulfill the ministry that Paul was called to do, and people were backing him up. And people were partaking in it. People were, were with him in his duty. They considered his trials their own trials. Has there ever been a time when you wanted to do something for God but was scared to do it because of what it might cost you? You know, we should be defending the gospel. You know, it, it costs us something. We're, we're somewhat vulnerable to be a friend to somebody. In order to be a friend to somebody, you're going to have to make yourself vulnerable. And that's scary. In order to get help sometimes from your pastor, you're going to have to be vulnerable. It's not fun. But when you're, vulner, when you're vulnerable is when you can become strong. It's for when we're weak that I'm strong in Jesus Christ. And when you're talking about other people and friendships, 
Sure, you're vulnerable, but if you chose your friend wisely, which why, why are you in this church if you don't think that, if you don't think that these friend, people are worth being your friends? If, if you're in this church and you think, and because by being in this church, you admit that these people in your church are your friends, are going to be your friends. You want to learn from them. You want to learn from the pastor. But you're going to have to make yourself vulnerable. And people don't like that. People want to come to church and they want to hear a message on Sunday morning and then they'll leave and do their own thing throughout the week and come back on Sunday morning just to dip in and they're taking everything in but they're never giving anything out. If somebody were to think about the heartache that they once faced and how that somebody could have helped them during that time, would that somebody be you? So somebody's facing a trial, trouble, and if they, it just would have taken one person to say, hey, I'm going to be your prayer warrior. I'm going to be there for you. But you know what? In order for you to do that, in order for you to let somebody be your prayer warrior, you're going to have to be vulnerable. You know, uh, there's something that us young men are doing in the church. We're meeting together and we're being accountable because there's a lot of temptations and struggles that young men deal with every day and old men. It's a youthful lust. It doesn't mean it's just for youth. It means it's a youthful lust. So if you're an old man, you can have a youthful lust too. But there's a certain, to be accountable, to let others help you, we have to be open. We have to be transparent. We have to be, be vulnerable. And the only way that we can get help is to be open. And the only way that others can help us is if we go to them with that. And if somebody comes to you, you know, there was a story of a, of a uh, I heard recently of a pastor who, who confided in one of his churchmen, and one of his deacons, about his struggles with his eyes. And the deacon took it to the church and got the pastor fired. That pastor trusted. He did the right thing. He made himself vulnerable. But that deacon took it on himself. Now, you say, well, um, a pastor who's committing adultery isn't, worth being, isn't worthy of being a pastor. Lust is like the acid of adultery in your heart, but is not like the actual commitment. Why? Because if that were true, would there be any man on the face of earth that's worth being a pastor, that's worthy of being a pastor? But so sad, because what if that deacon would have just said, hey, I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to be your prayer warrior. I'm going to be there for you. Their friendship with Paul. Not, not just with Paul. I mean, Paul was their leader. He was an authority in the church, but with other people around us. He was thankful that they were their friends. And it even reverted back to his confidence. He was confident because of their friendship, too. So, even though our life is not supposed to be focused on other people and pre- pleasing other people, it is a question. Is your walk worth being cheerful and confident about? Is your Christian life making somebody else thankful or cheerful or confident that God's going to keep working in your life? Because it's not the goal, but it is a sign. It is not the goal, 
Jesus Christ is the goal. We're pleasing Jesus Christ. But if you please Jesus Christ, it will affect somebody else. It will affect somebody else. And then the last, the last verse, For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Even though there, that phrase, bowels of Jesus Christ, that is a often used phrase, and it means, like when I say to my wife, I love you with all my heart. That does not mean I, I love you with this physical, beating, pumping muscle. It's saying I love you from the very depths of my soul, from the very depths of my life. I long after you all. And that was Paul's thankfulness, and that was Paul's thoughts and cheerfulness on the Philippian church. Because of what they did, their consistency allowed him to be confident. He was thankful for their fellowship. He was thankful for their future. And he was thankful for their friendship. Is your walk worth being cheerful and confident about? How is your walk affecting somebody else's life? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this Sunday school lesson. Let's pray, Lord, that we would take it to heart, Lord. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect by any means, Lord, and you most of all know that. Uh, I pray, Lord, that, that we would take seriously what you have in your word. Um, and whatever distractions or anything that were caused by the presenter of your word would be put aside. And that we would realize that this is, this is your word. We need to take it seriously. You wrote it for us. You allowed Paul to pen those words for us. I just pray, Lord, that we would be desiring to be more like you, to be inspiring other people with cheerfulness and with confidence. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Josh. I just want to mention that there is a couple things. If you're a lady, you need to get one of these green pieces of paper today.